Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is game week. Well, I guess technically it's not game week because Clemson plays next week, but we're calling it game week, dang it, because we've waited this freaking long. Still an enormous amount to cover between now and the Labor Day opener in Atlanta. And we have every bit of it covered at TigerIllustrated.com between yours truly and Paul Strilo. It was a lot of fun teaming up with him over the three weeks of camp. And now we shift into full football season mode and not at a moment too soon. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our conversation, former Tiger, Matt Bockhorst, always fun uh, sitting down and talking to him. The way I sort of describe it is sitting on a park bench somewhere and just talking some football talking about life, a bunch of other things. Really enjoyed this conversation. Here we go. All right. Joined by Matt Bockhorst, who I've been told he's at the moment sitting on the beach at Isle of Palms, sipping on a Bloody Mary, (laughs) getting ready for the day. Is that accurate? Well, you know, maybe not on a Tuesday, but uh, fast forward to this weekend and, and that can be the case. Update us. Actually, I just ran um, a, some parts of our interview we had, I guess, a couple of months ago um, that was sort of updating on, on what you're up to. But I'd like to get a more in-depth sort of um, uh, look at that. So just maybe get people up to speed on why you're on the Isle of Palms, on whether you're actually wearing shoes, whether you're wearing a shirt, <laughs> uh, things like that. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Uh, to answer those questions, I do wear a shirt every day. Shoes are a maybe. Um, you know, Zoom's a wonderful thing. So um, we can uh, wear the office mullet and just uh, look good <laughs> up top. But, um, but no, it's, it's been good. And, and uh, obviously, I would assume if somebody's listening to this, then they would be familiar with my situation. But 
Um, you know, when I got hurt last year, it was pretty, pretty evident, evident to me um, quickly that that was going to be the end of the road um, for 65. So uh, it just kind of, you know, culmination of a lot of things um, after a while. And, you know, it's funny, I actually saw a guy who he was my age uh, when we were getting recruited. His name's Nick Brahms and he went to all, uh, yeah, Auburn center, very smart kid. And he just, uh, he came back for his sixth year, which is very commendable. But I just saw this week on Twitter that he had medically retired, um, due to just the wear and tear on his body. And, um, that comes as no surprise to me because I think, especially when you're talking about O-line and D-line and the physicality of the practices throughout the whole season, um, you know, it does, it takes a toll. And uh, especially when you're having in a position where you have a lot of surgeries, um, that's a tough position to be in when you're 22. So, uh, so I kind of hung it up, um, was very fortunate to be able to stick around and finish my MBA, um, which really allowed me to transition. I think um, very, very gradually um, if you contrast to a lot of the other guys, just, having to make that switch kind of very quickly, you know, bowl games over and then it's all right, have fun in the real world. And uh, I did start working in January, but it was a little bit more of a gradual transition. And um, so kind of fast forward to, to where I am now, um, still with the same group that I've been with since January, but down uh, on Isle Palms, as you said, which um, isn't too bad. It's been, it's been rainy as of late, but uh you know, all things considered, it's not too bad. But uh, so we're a private wealth management group um, headquartered in Newport Beach, California, but have a big presence in Greenville and then starting to grow down here in Charleston as well, um, which has been great. It's been a lot of fun, learned a lot, um, got an opportunity to kind of experience some growth and um, kind of drinking from a fire hose, as Coach Swinney says. But uh, it has been a ton of fun. And I know for certain this is kind of what I'm going to be doing for the long haul, which is exciting for me. Um, and it's just crazy for me to kind of think back on a year or so ago uh, compared to now, how much things can change. So you never know uh, what's coming down the pipeline, but uh, definitely not disappointed in where I am. And, you know, when I was seeing all those guys at fall camp, uh, I, I'm not sure that I envy them. Maybe a little bit deep down, but at face value, absolutely not. <laughs> what is your typical day like? Like, are you just mainly on the phone and Zooms, like you said? Are you courting prospective clients and then, I guess, managing current clients? Can you give us a, a deeper understanding of sure. what that is like? Yeah, kind of really all of the above. Um, I think kind of as I alluded to earlier, <clears throat> in this business in particular in the private wealth space, which is kind of, I guess, a step above, if you will, um, it's uncommon for a young person to come in and be client-facing. Um and typically the route that you would find is one of two, either you work for a big bank and you go through a very regimented training program or a company like ours, which is called a registered investment advisor, which, you know, our company manages 30 billion. So we're not just a little, uh, hole in the wall shop, but, um, typically you would find yourself in, um, somewhat of an, a support role. I don't want to say administrative, but more so on the doing paperwork and making sure all the 
T's are crossed and I's are dotted um, for an advisor. Now, for me, I work closely with our managing director, Joe, um, and we work in tandem quite a bit because now he in the managing director role is a bit more hands-off with the large majority of the clients. Um, but it allows me to be in a producing role, in a client-facing role where I am able to go prospect for clients and, and utilize some of my relationships and that's where you want to be, obviously. But the caveat is that when you're young and you're 23 years old, it is an extreme challenge to convince somebody to trust you to manage their money. Um, now, I definitely am fortunate to be to have that arrangement with Joe and that he's done tremendously well, has a great track record. He's well known in the Greenville area, a Clemson guy as well. So um so it's been a lot of fun and that, that sort of arrangement has allowed me to perhaps engage in conversations that I would not otherwise be able to. Um, but a lot of our time is is really on that relational side of things. And, and I obviously I said Zoom earlier, um, but really in all honesty, I, I don't like Zoom. Um, I prefer to be in person. I would rather go to lunch with somebody i'd rather drive to whether columbia greenville wherever i would rather go be in person with somebody whether a client a prospective client um anybody else that's kind of ancillary if you will i, I like the in person but no two days the same and i think that's kind of a cliche salesy uh thing that everybody says that they they don't they like the fact that they're not in a cubicle nine to five but I would say this, to some degree that is true. Um, and it's nice for me because really I'm kind of autonomous in a way in that I make my own schedule and show up to the office at, at 8 a.m. because that's when I want to show up to the office. Uh, so I think just in hindsight, I have a great appreciation for the overwhelming amount of structure that existed in my life. I mean, even prior to Clemson uh, during my high school days and, and, uh, at St. X and the, how rigorous the academics and athletics were there. Um, so I've been for, for many years in a very regimented, very structured environment. And now I find myself that's kind of the opposite where it's kind of nobody's going to hold my hand and nobody's going to um, be watching over my shoulder, which is great. Uh, I think it's definitely something that's earned and something that can quickly be taken away if it's not uh, appropriately utilized. But um, that's been great because it allows me to kind of um, do the things that I feel like are valuable for my business and and um, and Beacon Point as a whole. So um, it's it's been a lot of fun. Like I said, lots and lots of learning. Um, you know, every day just trying to soak up as much as possible. Um, like I said, Joe is, is what, what a great example he is, but also our two other partners, Stephen Bright, who's a Greenville guy. People might know him from, from way back in the day. Uh, if Stephen, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but, um, <laughs> but Stephen played at, Stephen played at Vanderbilt. Um, so, but he's a Greenville guy. Uh, and then our other partner, Kent Jaguar, um, he's uh, a Wofford guy, which we won't hold that against him, but, um, <laughs> But uh, those two guys are, are fantastic as well. And, and, and for me to kind of come in and join the team, and there's obviously multiple others in different roles, um, has been a lot of fun. Definitely everything I could have hoped for. And I think to have an opportunity like this 
given the circumstance that I found myself in just less than a year, less than a year ago is uh, I definitely don't take it for granted. And I know that, especially when you talk about such a huge transition in life, kind of stepping away from the game, that's been the predominant part of your life for as long as you can remember, basically um, that is, that is challenging, but it's uh, like I said, I would point to kind of the gradual nature of that, that transition for me um, really, I think allowed me to kind of get settled in. And then now down here in Charleston uh, or, you know, offices on Isle of Palms, but Charleston area, getting settled in that area. Um, really, I will tell you, I mean, one of the things that I've leaned on the most is, is the Clemson, uh, connection. And, and as I kind of get my roots planted down here, that's been a huge, huge thing that I've tried to take advantage of. Yeah. That's actually what I was about to ask is in the context of the age old conversation slash debate about amateurism and should players be played how, how, or paid, how should they be paid? One of the arguments for, I guess, the conventional, traditional model is that, okay, it, it's more than than just room and board, and the scholarship actually does bring value. And then beyond that, the, the, the fact that you are a former Clemson football player gives you high profile in the business world. And I'm just curious for your perspective on that, like how much value has just that um, held for you? being a former Clemson football player? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, look, it, it, it sure helps a lot more to be a former Clemson football player than a former UCLA football player. Um, and, I, I mean, that's just a random example. But my point is that having, having been part of a program like Clemson in particular, I think is unique. Um, and I think if you compare it to a lot of other places, yeah, there's great – alumni networks and people like the football players at um, other schools. But I think Clemson is definitely unique in that regard. Now with that, I don't think necessarily that being a Clemson football player automatically uh, positions one for success. However, I do think that it can give somebody a leg up if they take advantage of it. And um, that is where, you know, there is some sort of personal choice. Like you have to take the initiative. You have to take advantage of the things that are available to you. And unfortunately, I think a lot of my former teammates maybe didn't have the foresight to see the value in all of those things. Um, so that's great. And it's been really cool for me. I mean, not even just post Clemson, but while I was at Clemson to, to really develop some relationships that I know if I were not a football player, I probably would not have had the opportunity to develop. Um, and then kind of transitioning to where I am now, what sort of value have I gotten from it? I mean, it's hard to say. I think it's kind of one of those, it's maybe not necessarily all that quantifiable, but I know that it allows me to have some level of, benefit of the doubt um from people who maybe aren't super familiar with me or um you know if i'm getting introduced to them and somebody introduces me as a former clemson football player or a former team captain at clemson um there is some credibility that's attached with that i think um because people recognize how challenging it is to do that um and people like to see 
you know, obviously as you get to know somebody, you can kind of learn their character. But if somebody introduces you in a way that almost paints that picture already, it's very helpful. Um, but ultimately what I found, and I mean, I knew this to be the case, but just because I played football for the Tigers doesn't mean that people are lining up in droves to give me their money. Yeah. Um, now I think, uh, that those things come and, and not that there, there haven't been those people, uh, that have, uh, signed on the dotted line, but it's, it's a great conversation starter. It, it, it's nice to have the cool memorabilia and, and all of those things. But, um, I think, the biggest thing is just utilizing the, like I said, the leg up, um, the upper hand, just kind of that, whatever, that little extra that it gets you and taking advantage of it and really making sure that once you have the opportunity, whether it's just getting in front of somebody or being at an event, then it's, there, there's no more advantage for me than any other person. It's how do you conduct yourself in those conversations? Are you confident? Are you articulate? Um, do people enjoy being around you? I think the nature of my business in particular is that I'm around, I mean, by a large majority, people who are much older than me. Um, so how then do you as a young person convey to those people that they should consider giving, putting their money with you as opposed to the thousands of others who are their age and have been doing it for many years. And there's many factors that can go into that conversation. And I think that there is quite honestly advantages to going with somebody who's younger. Um, I mean, the, the industry itself is very old. 70% of advisors will retire within the next 10 years and most of whom do not have a succession plan. So as a young person, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity, um, but it also takes patience. And I think the way that, that you build it the most sustainably is to build it through genuine relationships and not just as a salesy approach and kind of people feel like whenever you come around, they know you're hawking for money. Um, yeah. Because I would never want to be in that position, I think. Unfortunately, you might have people who will just write you off as being that um, regardless, just because of the profession that you're in. But but for me, the way I look at it is I if, if somebody wants to become a client of mine or ours at Beacon Point, I want it to be because they want to and not because I swindled them. Um, and I think there's so much trust. Like I said, it's such an intimate relationship. It's one that you know, we get to see aspects of our clients' lives that others do not. Um, and it's very private. It's obviously strictly confidential. And there's a legal bound to that. And we're also legally bound to act in their best interest. So um, those are things that you work through. But I think the biggest way for me as a young person, yes, the Clemson thing is huge and I will always remain connected to Clemson. And I just, I take great pride in that network. Um, but beyond that, I think conveying to people, um, even as a young person, your knowledge, um, your ability to be very intentional sense of urgency, showing people that they're, they're of value to you. I think those are all ways that you can make people believe in you and trust you and not just by having some uh, sales pitch that talks them into circles and, and green into becoming a client. And when we talked a couple of months ago, you, you were explaining that y'all are involved in, in facilitating 
uh, NIL um, opportunities as far as setting up with, 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 with college athletes. And it felt like y'all were sort of on the front end of it at that time. Can you maybe refresh and, and give a, a, a picture of, of, of where you are with that now and how much of that is, is on your plate at the moment? Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's interesting on the NIL stuff. Um, I think number one, yes, we're still absolutely involved in that. We're still, um, we've continued to, to add new people. And, um, I mean, as always, there's always people kind of, um, that are in process of being brought on. Um, but yes, we've continued that partnership. It's been very good. I know we've enjoyed it and really seen expansion around the company as well, where, whether in another office, somebody's son is a recruit or somebody's nephew or regardless, there's, I think people have now kind of almost started just thinking about things through that lens. I I don't think because prior and the the many, many, many years prior, it was never even a thought to have a financial representation for a a college athlete. It wasn't allowed. Um, And now that it is allowed, I think people are curious I think that there's a lot of questions. Um, you know, I can think to the one gentleman <clears throat> whose name I'll just leave out, but um, you know, his son is a, a, a pretty respected recruit, um, and uh, he's just asking me he, all these questions as as a father for, first and foremost. Um, I think for him, obviously, a very intelligent guy, but just a little bit of confusion, you know, like what's a collective, what does that mean? Um, why can there be multiple collectives at a school or just questions like that? I think that maybe I, or many of my peers were asking a year ago, I think this has been a huge learning curve for all of us. Um, but, uh, but sorry about that. Um, that's okay. But, um, we're still involved and it's definitely, it's education for sure. I think that's the the way that we feel comfortable engaging in the conversation is by not just saying we're doing this, but here's why we're doing it. Um, and really there's been no better opportunity to have those conversations than a year like this, where it's so up and down. You see the month of July just absolutely rockets and then, and then it's back down. And, um, I think for whether it's the average investor who maybe isn't super well-versed and in, in portfolio management, we'll say, or even somebody who's just getting off the ground, who's a young person and their, their knowledge is very rudimentary. It's, it's kind of scary. Um, because, they, you know, when just seeing the dollar value go down and looking at it every day, it doesn't do much for peace of mind, but there's conversations we have about it and explaining why, why we are comfortable with looking at those numbers. Um, so it, it's been a lot of fun to have those conversations with those who, I mean, they're not necessarily my peers, but a little bit younger, um, you know, they're in a position that I was pretty recently in. So um, that has been something that we've really enjoyed. And, and now it's kind of, all right, when we talk about a lot of the football guys in particular, now we're kind of getting to the point where things are ramping up. Um, and so learning how to navigate all those conversations and learning how to carve out time to make sure we are still having them, I think is the most important thing. 
Um, but that's, that's still been an aspect of what we're doing. Absolutely. And something that we believe in. And, and I think it's, as I probably said, last time we spoke, it's just a very natural transition for us, given our background with pro athletes, um, and my background personally. So, um, we've, we've really enjoyed that and we look forward to that continuing to grow. Do you have a gut feeling or sort of a, a, a I guess a take on, the way Clemson is positioned to deal with NIL long-term, like obviously here in the short term with it was still new, we're, we're a year in, but I mean, Clemson obviously is doing pretty well. They've crushed it in recruiting over the last several months. But I wonder five years from now, once it becomes, I mean, it's, it's moved so rapidly in the last year that now it's, it's just sort of commonplace to hear, Oh yeah, this kid from California is getting eight million dollars to go to Tennessee, uh, things like that. So I wonder, you know, with some of the high-profile players, like let's just say hypothetically Trevor Lawrence during his recruitment, hypothetically, he's considering Georgia. Georgia maybe turns him off a little bit by suggesting, hey, if you come here, we'll go to we'll sweeten the pot in this fashion. Whereas now, and so he goes to Clemson because he everything's above board. And he wants to grow holistically and all that and and loves Dabo. Whereas now it's like, I mean, I think you can see into the future, three, four, five years from now, if it's legal <laughs> to, to take, you know, uh, to, to accept however many millions of dollars, even somebody who's not in adverse financial circumstances would be crazy to turn that down. And I'm, and I'm saying that to you because you're, you deal in wealth management. And so I'm, I think you can sort of get the drift of where I'm going. Like, um, yeah. Are, is there, um, is there a, is, does that kind of character opportunity, if you will, still exist? And right. that Clemson was almost an anomaly in that, people might go to Clemson because they weren't playing the other games of, Hey, do you want this X, Y, and Z? And people knew that because Clemson was on the straight and narrow that they felt like that was the best place for them. Um, you know, I think time will tell. I think, as you said, look, we're 13 months into it, which is insane to think. No, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. 13 months. No, I think actually 14 regardless. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, regardless it's, it's so it's in its infancy to the largest degree. Um, in five years, who knows if even the collective model will be allowed. Um, I think, and, and I don't believe that collectives are inherently bad, but I would imagine that the NCAA does not overly enjoy the collective model because they really don't have all that much control over it. Um, it's not tied to the, to the institutions. Um, and the NCAA can enforce or try to enforce as much as they would like. But the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, these people that are running these collectives are – they're not employees of the university. They're not in the university athletic department. I'm sure the people in the university athletic department know who these people are, but I, I think that the problem that NCAA is going to find is that they're going to have a really, really, really hard time 
enforcing these things. Um, and that I don't believe um, helps Clemson uh, necessarily. But what I do believe Clemson is going to do is Clemson's going to be who Clemson is. And I think when you talk about staying power, um, people like the brands that stay consistent in who they are. And they like them because they know that they hold true to their values and their values aren't just a slogan. And so with Clemson, obviously you must adapt, you must modernize and you know you're seeing these renovations with the stadium and even the football complex you know it's like my (laughs) my first class or excuse me my recruiting class 2017 was the first recruiting class in the Clemson in the Reeves complex um and Luke Price who's who's the lone soldier well I guess uh Hunter Johnson with an asterisk (laughs) but um uh, our, our, our two, our two faithful are still riding out. And, and what are we seeing? So going into their last season, they've already actually seen renovations done to the facility <laughs> that they walked into when it was brand new. Yep. Think about that. Yep. <laughs> Which is crazy, but it's, 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 it's the nature of the beast, I think. And so with that, obviously, and I haven't been to the facility in several weeks, but um, with I know that they're doing the um, oh gosh what's the, the cat the, the cat cab yes yes the cab um, and I'm not sure what the progress is on that I'll be up there in a couple weeks but um, you know I think that they're doing they're going about things in the right way I think nil by nature everybody wanted to be first they wanted to be first to market they wanted to move fast because it was kind of lightning in a bottle. But I do think that it could really pay off to be, to just kind of be low and slow, to almost sit back and watch to a certain degree. And I don't mean that as in insofar to say that um, Clemson should be passive or not try to actively take advantage of things that are now within the rules. Um, but I do think that Clemson has never been impulsive. Uh, it's always kind of laid the the groundwork brick by brick. And so now we stand on an extremely solid foundation. Um, Things are changing. Absolutely. I think even with the transfer portal stuff, you know, I think it's a fair pivot for coach Sweeney to say, if it, if we must enter, get somebody from the portal, then then we must do it. I'm not going to do something that's to the detriment of the team because I'm stubborn about my principles. So the NIL, to answer the question, um, you know, we'll see. But I, I think that Clemson and the passion that surrounds Clemson, the foundation of the program, I think is so solid that I would be shocked if here we look up in five years and they've all of a sudden fallen behind the eight ball. And, and, and you're and to sort of to Clemson's credit, to, to the credit of the culture that, that Dabo has built, you're, I don't think you're ever, regardless of what it looks like, uh, with NIL or whatever it, form it takes, you're never going to have a shortage of parents, of recruits, who want their son to be taken care of, who who are thinking beyond football, who are thinking, wow, college degree. Um, that To me, at least, that sales pitch and that track record is always going to resonate with a significant number of of families. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and, and those are the families that you want. You know, I think about like a KJ Henry, who was very highly recruited, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and he said that one of the deciding factors for him was Paul Journey. And I can tell you right now, I, I'm honestly getting chills thinking about it. I would not be sitting in the seat I am today if it was not for Paul Journey. And it's not to say that, um, you know, I was handed a job on a gift platter, but the experience I got in the internships allowed me to find my passion. And, um, and the, the experience to be able to speak with people who, who are benefactors to whether the university, uh, IPTE, or even Paul Journey in particular, or um, all of these things, you know, they add up. And I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's those families, you know, I was very fortunate to be raised by my parents who instilled in me the value of an education and, and the importance of that. Um, and yes, football is important too, but, you know, Coach Winnie says all the time, how you do anything is how you do everything. And if we can get, get, get more guys in the door who believe in that and really live that out, Clemson will be fine for years to come. And it's probably almost, and I mean, kind of to your point earlier about we've always kind of made our money that way. And I mean, that's a, probably a bad term to say that, but, uh, or say it in that way, but you know, we've always kind of had that advantage of people know that when you come to Clemson, it's more than ball. And that it, there, it does attract a specific type of recruit and a specific type of recruits parents. Um, so I don't think that this new NIL landscape negates that, but it does. I mean, there's adjustments that will be made and different ways to do things. Um, you know, Clemson now has a, a fund for uh, academic performance um, for scholarship student athletes where, um, they're incentivized each year by uh, an additional stipend. Um, that's, I mean, pretty sizable when you're a student athlete. So there's ways I think that they've modernized it and tried to take advantage of all that's out there. But ultimately, and, you know, it, it does worry me a little bit, just college football as a whole, I really, really would hate to see the foundation get away from the college experience and from getting an education and from, you know, having a place to belong to. And, 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 you know, for me, I, I know for certain I will come back to Clemson for the rest of my life. And I take great pride in that. And I, you know, I would hate for it to get away from that because people are so focused on the almighty dollar. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTE members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another 
loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. All right, let's talk ball. I, I am yes. fired up. I am fired up to talk offensive line and the latest developments. Of course, the, the one of the big developments during the spring was Will Putnam really taking to the center position and then uh, the biggest development of August camp, in my opinion, was also in the offensive line. Blake Miller emerging as a starter-worthy right tackle, according to everybody who's been watching, including the coaches, which means Walker Parks over to right guard. I'm sure you've picked up on this from from all of your relationships you have, but it feels like there is lots of optimism about where they are with that first five and the possibilities that can come with them being able to force the issue with the running game. Is that pretty much what you're picking up as well? Yeah, well, you know, I was going to say, uh, pun intended on Blake Miller being the biggest development because um, he's a giant, for those <laughs> who don't know. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's cool for me to watch. And, and <clears throat> since I was finishing school in the spring, the NBA, uh, I was kind of able to be around there, and, and that helped with the transition and also helped, you know, with – will making the transition to, to center um and just kind of starting off there i think you know i can i'm a i try to always be very self-aware and, and honest and and i can speak candidly and say that last year when i made the transition to center it was definitely uncomfortable i think people could see that um and you know it wasn't what i hoped i think for me and my kind of last ditch nfl efforts um i felt like that was the the best route um now i kind of i came to the realization that hey you know i just don't think that my skill set as a player um and the kind of job of a center and and the lack of space uh especially in the run game i felt like that did not play well to my strengths as a player i think i my strengths in the run game in particular at guard were really firing off the ball and kind of getting that movement and i liked having that buffer at guard you're farther off the ball um but for will i think that he has transitioned tremendously well much better than i did and it was very clear to me in the spring that it was so much more comfortable than him or excuse me more comfortable for him um but i i mean and this might be a stupid line of thought but i think that it can be traced back to will's outstanding career as a wrestler Hmm. um i think that and and my belief is that obviously there's people out there that have always said that wrestling is a great cross trainer for offensive line. But I think in particular, the center position, there's value there because it is so close quarters and the leverage and learning how to kind of move somebody without having any momentum um, is I think something that will is that's a strong suit of his and that helps him a lot in as a center now also in the center it kind of the pass pro stuff is a little bit different um and that takes some getting used to but i think will and his success there at center um is an absolute positive for the offensive line and the team 
And now you've seen it kind of frees up some other shifts. Um, and for Blake to come in, I know it was very evident in the spring, just from my observations that I think the biggest thing for him as somebody who's so tall, it's uncommon for somebody who is that tall to come in as a freshman and be physically developed to the degree that he is. Um, he's, he's very strong. <laughs> I mean, that's, he's very strong. And um, that I think above all else allows him to kind of have this opportunity to play early because he's physically ready. Now I am extremely high on Blake Miller. I'm extremely high on Colin Sadler as well. But I also would like to say that regardless, I think they will both be excellent players and are already far advanced for their age. But, I mean, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be growing pains. It's They're freshmen. Um, and so as, as high as I am and I love what the O-line is looking like, you know, I think we should also be giving him some grace, both of those guys, all of them, especially early on, as they figure it out. But I, I love the lineup. I think Walker at, at, at guard is a great move. I think he is a natural guard. He projects at guard. Um, and I think it really allows him to, you know, guards are going to be pulling more often. Walker does really well in space. So those are all great things. And obviously you've got Jordan on the left side, who's complete lockdown, and Marcus as well. I'm excited for Marcus. I think for him to kind of take that next step into to his second season – um, getting more comfortable, getting really understanding the details. And that's kind of, you know, I think Marcus, if you think about him last year, super, super, super talented. And uh, he will, like Blake and Colin, be an excellent player. And I think for him, I mean, man, it's tough to be thrown into a, a position like that as a young guy starting off against Georgia. Um you know, now he's more comfortable. He understands the playbook and, and the, the nuances of the, the offensive line play. So um, I, I'm really, really excited for those guys. And I know that they've enjoyed um, Coach Austin and and all the things that he's implemented along with some of the changes that have come with Coach Streeter. So uh, it's it's a very exciting time. I think, hey, I mean, talking season is, is really almost over now. It's, Thank it's God. Coming, coming quick, I know. So, um, and then really, I think just, I mean, the challenge has been the past couple of years and is just the depth. Um, and now it's like, okay, we've got a couple guys beyond the, that starting five. We need some, some really, really good guys to come in and be able to play. And, you know, there's there's some personal ownership there from each guy. I think you've got some guys in their second and third years that really need to continue to take that step. But getting that that first five kind of locked in, I think by the second scrimmage of camp, it was kind of it was solid, which is good. That helps them start to learn how to play along with one another. And there's not so much shuffling around. I think having that continuity is good. So I'm really excited for them. Obviously, we've got a freaking stable of backs. Uh, I mean, all those guys just bring something different to the table and they're all great players. So uh, I'm excited. I, I hope they can run the ball for 250 yards every game and then some. I would love to see that. Yeah, the focus on finding the best five and then sort of the sensation that is created when uh, Blake Miller proves he's good enough to be one of those five, it really overshadows what you mentioned a second ago. What about the depth? And 
you know, this time a year ago, uh, Dabo Sweeney was saying, you know, I feel like we'll be 10 deep and I feel comfortable playing nine guys here against Georgia in the opener. Well, as it turned out, they played one guy. That was uh, uh, Paul Teo for 19 snaps. That was it. Um, and then after South Carolina State, not even going to mention that, um, against Georgia Tech, the starting you guys as the starting five went the distance. And so I know injuries were a part of the equation last year because Dietrich Pennington got hurt against South Carolina State. John Williams and, and Taquan Johnson were out before the season even started. But the depth was not what – uh, Dabo and others were hoping, and so now the big question is: as you try to, as you try to rank six through ten, I don't even know where to begin because I haven't been watching practices, and I don't really have a sense of of how ready uh, most of these backups are. Well, yeah, I think um, you know it's uh, really kind of, I mean, having time to analyze it thoroughly, I think. If you look at just just from a strict numbers perspective, um, in you know last year I was the 2017 class myself was in, in its fifth season, but our offensive line recruiting class was myself, Blake Vinson, Noah DeHaan, and Noah medically disqualified relatively early due to a neck issue. And then Blake ended up medically disqualifying. He had a very unfortunate kind of string of injuries. And then um, when he had his big knee, knee injury, just really was not able to kind of be, again, who he once was, um, which is very challenging for, you know, as a player. Um, and then the next class, you've got two guys and both became very good players, but one has gone after three years. So so then you're left with the, your fifth-year class and your fourth year class have one player who's playing. Um, and then in the third year, the, those who are third year players, um, you've got Will Putnam, obviously, who's played and, and played a tremendous amount of football. Um, and you also had Mason Trotter in there, who's not available this year. Um, but, you know, the list goes on. And I guess my point is that we found ourselves, especially in the past two seasons, and in, in, to some degree still now, where the the depth we're relying on was very young. Um, and I remember when I was a freshman coming in, uh, and granted I was coming off of injury, but regardless, I don't think that would have made an impact. I was coming into an offensive line room that was very, very deep, very deep. And there, I had a very not good chance of cracking the two deep as a freshman. And then what I found in 2020 and perhaps even 2021 is that those positions on the, the second team were kind of up for grabs. And I know us as the older guys were trying to convey to those younger guys what, how much of an opportunity that is. Um, and you only know what you know, and, uh, you can't fault those guys for, you know, I don't want to say they didn't value the opportunity and it's kind of overwhelming, but um, that dynamic has certainly existed. And I know that moving forward, I would hope that they will um, continue to try to be consistent from a numbers perspective, as far as how many scholarship guys they bring in each year. And, and those numbers are going to vary by nature, but um, you know, I think we've got a couple guys now who are in that third year, um, you know, I think about Brian Tucker, Trent Howard, 
um, Mitchell Mays, um, you know, those guys really need to take that next step. I think by your third year, you should have the playbook down. Um, and so every player is going to be on a different timeline and guys are going to develop at different times. I mean, you look at a Cade Stewart who didn't start until his fifth year or, um, you know, there's guys are going to develop at different stages. Guys are going to have opportunities presented to them at different stages. But the most important thing is to take advantage of those opportunities when they are presented. I remember last year, last August, a couple of weeks maybe before the opener, I watched Georgia's bowl game against Cincinnati, a replay of that from the year before. And I remember in the moment on New Year's Day, I guess that game was, I'm like, oh, wow, Georgia almost choked against Cincinnati. You know, you're sort of watching it casually. But then I sat, I sat down and watched it more closely and watched that defensive line and linebackers, and I'm like, oh, my God, these dudes, these dudes are monsters. I'm wondering from your perspective – and you're very self-deprecating when you said Will Putnam just took it, you know, took to it much better than you did. In fairness to you, <laughs> he, he, took, he, he had a head start. Well, I don't know when exactly you knew that you would be the center, but I'm guessing it was late July, <clears throat> early, yeah. early August. When did you, <laughs> when did you say, in, in light of how good that Georgia defensive front clearly was going into that game. When did you say, pardon my French, oh, shit? Yeah, I mean, you know, candidly speaking, the the center thing for, and for me was it was kind of um, definitely under consideration in the spring. But um, at, following the, the 2020 season, I had a, a – Surgery. It was an arthroscopic surgery on my left knee, but it was also somewhat involved. Um, and I had had ongoing issues with that left knee for essentially my entire college career. Um, and so we made it, we made the decision to, um, that I was not going to be doing live work in the spring, um, which helped me because I need, I needed that. Um, but on the flip side though, then I was not, taking live reps. Um, and especially I think if for if nothing else, just the snaps, um, and learning how to, to have consistent snaps when it's really a live scenario. Um, so then, and this was <clears throat> kind of just, it was very unfortunate going into the camp last year, I had pulled my cap, which is in, in conditioning, um, mm. which is such an annoying, stupid injury. I was, I, I just, the timing of that was frustrating, but but, you know, I wasn't live for the first kind of three or four practices of camp. And then as soon as I kind of got back live, I probably had a, a day or so of snapping. And then it was like, all right, have fun. Um, and, uh, and, and look, I, I um, at that point, you know, like I said earlier, I think I realized that if I was going to try to ha- have an opportunity at NFL, it would have had to be at center just from just the size perspective, I think intangibles, you know, the profile would fit with the center more. I knew candidly that now following all of my kind of knee issues, I was not quite as, uh, fast. Not that I ever was fast, but I think that, you know, I could tell that I was maybe not necessarily moving around as, as well as I once had. Um, and I, I mean, the first scrimmage last camp was, it was in the indoor and, and they were running the, 
either ahead of nose and Brian Brzee or two a gap players and Brian Brzee and Tyler Davis. <laughs> and that scrimmage was not fun. <laughs> it was not fun. Um, so, and, and to, to answer your question, was there ever a moment when I was like, Oh boy, uh, to be quite honest, I mean, as a competitor, I don't know that there's ever been a position when, or especially prior to a game when I wanted, when I was kind of having that mindset, I think I always, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, had the mindset going into a game that I and we were going to dominate. Um, and, you know, that's just, I think as a competitor, it's kind of, that's the mindset you need to take. Um, now, during the game, I remember in one <laughs> One play in particular, I kind of had a back block where I was spilling on the big boy, number 99, and I kind of, like, bounced off of him. Um, and, <laughs> and, and you know, at that point, I was, um, I was like, oh, boy. Um, now, I will say, and, and those, I mean, like you mentioned, the linebackers, just what a talented group. I mean, that front seven, uh, it's uh, – you know, they're on par with some of those great Alabama defenses. Uh, absolutely. But, um, you know, during the game, I would say it was really just 99 for me. Uh, he was so big that I felt like our ability to run the ball was just totally neutralized. And when he's plugging up the middle like that, you know, they had other great players as well. I want to say 88, 95. Um, those yeah. guys are good players as well. Uh, and the backers, a member of 44, um, you know, great players. Um, but regardless of rankings or NFL prospects, you know, we're used to playing high level players. I think it's just when you play a player in particular, like Jordan Davis, you know, I could draw a very easy comparison to Dexter Lawrence. And the fact that I remember when Dexter was still at Clemson, I hated going against Dexter because he was so big and so hard to move. And even some of the other great players like Christian Wilkins, who would win more reps uh, against me than I won against him. You know, I still felt like I could at least um, compete or I could get my reps against a guy like that. Uh, you know, I could win certain battles here and there, but those really, really big guys, especially as you know, for me, I mean, if our, interior offensive line the biggest player is 315 and, and that guy's 360 uh you know those are those those numbers don't quite add up um but it i think you know it's part of being a competitor and and you have to be able to you know after that georgia game yeah tough loss i mean it's it, it's brutal to play offensive line and not score a touchdown uh, i mean it's so frustrating it, it's it is it's tough and you know then kind of moving on down the line, obviously South Carolina state, you can just throw that one away. And then it's Georgia tech. And really, I mean, to some degree, it's the same thing. We just could not, could not move the ball. We did not have the explosion that we normally enjoyed. So those are, those are really challenging things to experience. And, you know, obviously the film sessions aren't fun either. So um, we're, we're definitely held accountable. <laughs> I think, uh, it's obviously we always want to not publicly be critical of um, our teammates or I know the coaches don't want to be publicly critical of the players, um, you know, in a negative way. Um, but I think that then at times can lead people to believe that, that everything, you know, no, nobody's held accountable, I guess would be my point. And that is certainly not the case. Okay. So a year ago at this very time, everybody, out here in the outside world 
was thinking, man, this offense isn't going to miss a beat. DJ Uyunglele was just masterful in his two starts uh, against Notre Dame and Boston College. Uh, yep, they got another generational quarterback. It's just going to be more of the same inside the building, sort of behind the curtain, going into the season. Was that the feeling, or was there some doubt based on maybe some of what you saw in practice, some inaccuracy? I know that in the first scrimmage last August, I don't know if you remember, but I don't think – I mean, you might not have had one net yard uh, in that first scrimmage. It was a real struggle. So I'm just curious for your recollections of going into the season, was the feeling, oh, man, this offense is going to light it up, or was it more, ah, I'm not so sure? You know, I, I think um, to answer your question about as far as specific recollections, I'm not. I, I don't really, and this is. I mean, this is honest. I don't. I don't really believe that there was ever a time where I had concerns. Um, you know, if if I did, I would I would speak candidly sure. about that. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned it. Just and whether it's right or wrong, I think we all saw DJ um, and the two games that he played in, in 2020. And, and obviously he demonstrated his ability. And I would like to say very clearly that I don't think that that ability has been lost. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of guys last year who or excuse me, a lot of guys who played last year who might look back on last season and uh, kind of disappointed in their individual performance. Um, I think I can, in, in ways look at mine. I mean, and, and that's just me being self-aware and honest. Um, now, so I can't speak for anybody else and I can't speak for DJ, but I, I would imagine that DJ being self-aware too knows that his performance last year was not to the standard of the Clemson quarterbacks of late. Um, and obviously when you're the quarterback at Clemson or any big time school, you know, you're going to be held to a standard that might be even higher than that of your teammates. And um, because the quarterback plays such a crucial role and every role matters, absolutely um, top to bottom, but the quarterback touches the ball, every play, um, you know, if, if the quarterback, it doesn't matter if the, Offensive line has great pass pro. If the receiver runs a great route, if the quarterback can't get him the ball, then the play's dead. But I think where maybe people should really honestly evaluate is, okay, yeah, were there times when the ball maybe wasn't placed correctly? Yes. But how many wrong routes were there run? Mm -hmm. How many times was the quarterback pressured? How many times was there a mental error from somebody? And I think that it's even though it's very visible and easy to criticize the quarterback or maybe at times the offensive line, there's so many moving parts that it's it's hard to really just sit there and point at number five and say, um, you know, we need we need a new guy. Um, and I think, like I said, I think he would absolutely own and I believe he has, um, you know, what he believes to be a disappointing performance on his part last year. And I'm excited for him to have the opportunity to have another crack at it. I think 
to judge somebody off of a season. I mean, especially if you look down the stretch, number one, we would, after the game that I got hurt, they ran the table, won every game and he was hurt. And regardless of throwing accuracy or anything like that, I would absolutely refuse to criticize his ability as a competitor and his mental toughness. Because I would imagine that most people out there have never experienced the amount of criticism that he experienced in three months. Um, you know, yeah, we're college football players and guys um, who are in a special position and, and get a lot of notoriety. But, you know, he still has to go to class on Monday, too, and, um, and hear the whispers and, and people who are Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, and so in that, I will always defend him and anybody else who endures a lot of criticism like that because I, we're held to a high standard, and that's why you come to a place like Clemson because you want to win, and winning is the expectation. But he's 19 or 20, and it, to, you need to give people grace. And so was there a point last year to answer the question? No, I, I can't say. I, I know that, and I'm, I've been very happy to see that the guys have rallied around him publicly. I think that's as important as, as internally. I think to speak through the media and, and to have him know that guys have his back, that's what teammates are for. And as much as Cade Klubnik is a great player, and I know that they've said they'll play, play Cade in, in situations – you know, I'm excited for Cade too, and and I'd love to see what the kids got. But I'm not, I'm definitely not of the the school of thought to to write DJ off. I think he's got a lot of a lot of talent, and um, nobody's perfect. It's hard to fill the shoes of giants uh, of a giant, excuse me, in Trevor Lawrence. And um, you know, you got to give the kid grace. He's going to have hopefully some more consistent supporting cast this year. We've got a group of backs who have, are now one more year mature. Uh, some tight ends who are great, great tight ends. I, I hope to see some utilization there. And then a, a group of receivers who, you know what, they, they weren't as consistent as they would have liked last year either. So everybody collectively has some ownership there. And I think that there's a lot of excitement and, and it's been a very kind of refreshing year for Clemson because of so much change and sometimes change is a good thing. So, um, you know, I'm excited for DJ. I, I've got, faith in DJ. I believe in DJ. You know, we've seen it. Whether or not people want to talk about his performance last year and consistency and all these things, he has demonstrated very clearly his ability to play at the high level. Now, let's do that consistently. Great points all around. You mentioned uh, you, you were here during the spring. Um, you got a chance to uh, be around the new offensive brain trust, Brandon Streeter, the OC, and of course Kyle Richardson playing an instrumental role in sort of refreshing the passing game. What excites you the most about this new direction, and what do you think, what stands out to you as being sort of the defining differences between how they're going to move forward and what we uh, saw sort of before in terms of the schematics, the tempo, the personnel groupings, uh, that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say definitely, and this is just <laughs> honest, as an offensive lineman, I can't speak particularly in <clears throat> about the passing game and the concepts um, just because that's not necessarily, you know, my forte. Um, uh, and so I would not want to speak on something that I'm not particularly well-versed in. However, I would say um, I've been really, really pleased to see what Coach Schroeder's done, obviously, as you mentioned, in conjunction with 
with um, Coach Richardson. And, I, I mean, even all of the guys, I think, look, you've got um, Spiller, uh, Grisham, and Thomas Austin, all former NFL guys, okay? And, um, you know, it's great because you've got this whole stable of former players, but especially I would say, uh, I mean, all of those guys have been elsewhere, um, I guess with the exception of Grish and um, Spiller as from a coaching perspective, but regardless, they played at the highest level. And so they have experienced different philosophies, obviously with coach Richardson coming from the high school ranks, um, Streeter, uh, stand at Richmond. So, you know, these guys, I think have a, a broad experience and can kind of bring things to the table that are refreshing. Um, obviously the, the offense as it were until last year was, you know, pretty much the same offense and from the, the Chad Morris era of, I mean, I would say almost 10 years ago at this point. Um, and that was a huge <clears throat> identity for Clemson. And I also think that from a personnel standpoint, especially at quarterback, um, the ability to run the read option at a high level because of the speed. Um, I mean, even Trevor, I, I mean, we saw that in the Ohio State game. I mean, the kid could fly. And yeah. um, so I don't think that the new changes to the offense are now void of any of those read option um, characteristics. But I mean, if you look at DJ strong suit as a passer and, and really as a quarterback, it's not necessarily the, the top end speed. Um, and so finding ways to really maximize the potential of your personnel is part of being a good coach. Um, so with that, uh, just some more under center stuff. I think when you look at under center from a play action perspective, um, it's helpful. I think even just from a downhill running perspective, it hits quicker. Uh, I know that there were some people that exhibited frustration last year when we were on the goal line against Georgia tech coming off the goal <laughs> line in shotgun. Um, and I'm, I'm look coaches, coach players play, but I mean, it is, it does seem like it could be intuitive to go under center there. Um, so I think they're just, just really not being so rigid on offensive philosophy. This is what we do. This is who we are and really trying to, to, utilize those philosophies to maximize the potential of the offense and the players that are in the offense. And I think, um, so just getting some more of that under center stuff, look, we've got great backs. We've got great tight ends, you know, and I mean receivers as well, but if we can really start getting into maybe some more 12 personnel stuff, maybe some more two back stuff, I think there's a lot of opportunities, um, for coach Schrader and, and all of those guys to, to utilize what they have. Uh, but it is, it is definitely going to be different. I can say that. And it's <clears throat> in, a, in a good way. I don't, I don't think it's a strict deviation from everything we've known, but you're going to see some new wrinkles. And I think that's a, a net positive. I think it's also good just from a, you know, from a gamesmanship standpoint to change things up and, and have new, new concepts. Um, so I'm really excited for those guys. And, and really, obviously I'm not a defensive guy, but I've heard great things on that side of the ball as well. <clears throat> well, Matt, I don't want to keep you from uh, surfing uh, your surfing plans today on a work day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they make a board that can, can carry me. You know, I've lost some weight, but not that much. <laughs> I really appreciate your time uh, during during a busy time for you, man. This has been awesome, and I uh, really hope we can uh, we can do it again at some point, maybe during the season. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I uh, really appreciate you reaching out, and I'm glad we can do it. Obviously, I'm 
remain very passionate about the game of football and and, in particular Clemson football and, and you know like I've said multiple times intend to remain connected to the university and the program for years to come and and now kind of on the outside looking in, um, obviously still have many, many former teammates still playing. Um, so it's really cool for me to see those guys really come into them, themselves, whether as a player or uh, in a leadership role, um, and now kind of passing the torch, if you will, as I transition into into the game we call life. So uh, it's it's been a lot of fun and, and looking forward to getting to some games this year. and. Uh, maybe sipping a daiquiri in a box instead of uh, sweating on the sideline after a 10-play drive, you know? Sounds like a plan, Matt. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, you take it easy. All right. Sounds like I'm going to have to go hang out with Matt. Uh, Bach horse before. Maybe not before the football games. I can't do that. Maybe if he's around afterward, I'll go hang out with him and Maybe sample some of those daiquiris he's talking about. Appreciate his time. Appreciate, of course, the support of our very loyal sponsors for being a part of this, helping make it happen. And, of course, thanks to all of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it. Cheers.